Fantasy Podcast. Before I leave on vacation next week, I wasn't planning on it, but it has to be done. I saw a tweet, and I'll give you a little background first. First of all, I don't think I've ever outgrown drug humor. I've never outgrown it. I love drug humor. I used to love Cheech and Chong growing up. I loved the book. I didn't really like the movie as much, but I loved the book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I've exchanged uh, shrooming stories with people. I remember other people's uh, acid trip stories, a couple of good ones, really good ones that I've heard from people. I love drug humor. I don't know why. I, I'm just very immature in this respect. Uh, I, just, I just never could get over it. So that's just the background on me. Um, I'll get into why in a serious way, why I think it appeals to me. But a tweet shut up in my feed from a guy named uh, Michael Krieger, who I follow, and he's a worthwhile follow just about a lot of things. But I, I should actually read his tweet. He, re he retweeted, he quote tweeted it and said, I could read the replies to this tweet all day long. Holy shit. And so I, I checked it out and I retweeted it myself. I retweeted it on Real Man Wood. The real man was going to try to get some of the substance that he was tweeting about. And this is genius. This is art. I'll get, I'll get into why this is so good, but let's just read them first. Let's just, without any more hype, let's just get into this. So the tweet was from an account at Olive Sagan, O-L-I-V-E-S-A-G-A-N. Uh, and he's special agent Mike Hunt. Anyone who watched the movie Porky's in the 80s knows the Mike Hunt joke when uh, they call the bar and get the bartender to yell into the bar. Anyone seen Mike Hunt? Special agent Mike Hunt. And you should check out this tweet. Uh, it's a photo of a small packet of some herbal substance. And it says special $5.99. And it's Salvinorin A extract. Salvia. Salvia divinorum is what it's called. And I I've heard of this. I don't think I've ever had it, at least not knowingly. But he writes, it will never stop being funny to me that the most powerful and unpleasant psychedelic drug on earth was briefly legal and being sold in gas stations and high school kids were lining up to have the worst five minutes of their lives. And I remember being a high school kid and you know driving all over to look for weed. That was in the summer. I was in the city. So we'd you know, go all over, walk anywhere, bad blocks, bad neighborhoods, uh, these tenement apartments trying to find where the, the weed guy was. So we put a lot of effort into it and took some very sketchy substances in Central Park that we bought from a guy. And so I, I remember that in the 80s, what that was like. Anyway, I, I've read books on this stuff and I think I've heard of salvia. Anyway, I don't think I've ever had it because I think I would know if I did, unless it was like laced in the shrooms I had once where I had a very crazy crazy trip anyway these are the replies without further ado so he replies first he goes got five minutes want to experience 80 years as a sentient dvd imprisoned in an evil dimension of cold geometric chaos and fluctuating gravity filled with malevolent entities boy do i have a substance for you and it keeps going one guy writes my brother knew a kid who took a very high dose he said he turned into a bucket of water and a giant came along picked up the bucket and threw the water against the Great Wall of China, said he felt like he was drawing on the wall for a thousand years. One guy says, I, I took it. I'm just going to read these. I'm not going to say one guy says. I'll just read different ones. These are just all replies to it. I took it once, and my living room slowly spiraled into an origami recreation of the first Thanksgiving, and then the spiraling origami dragon ate me, and I was consumed with its, within its paper digestive system while paper teeth ground me up. Salvia was so wild, I had a trip where I was basically a musical note and I was being carried by a bunch of teapots like in Beauty and the Beast and everyone was singing until they brought me to the furnace and threw my ass in there and I started to burn. It felt like forever. 
a friend of mine ripped the 250X shit one time and lived as a garden hose for like 100 years. He was bought from Home Depot by a single guy, put on the side of a new house and watched the man get married, have kids. Kids got married. He cried after and said it was an amazing experience. The one time I did this, I was 100% convinced that I was inside the mouth of a skyscraper-sized robot and looking out from behind its metallic teeth, I could see dozens of other huge robots across the landscape. It was definitely the most terrified I've been. 10 of 10, never again. I did it in a park with a circle of friends. The second I exhaled, the ground rose up and rushed towards us, and it was a brilliant wall of light. I turned into a Ferris wheel, and there were hundreds of tiny gummy bears climbing onto me to ride. Every time I moved, my body would creak, and the gummy bears would scream in these tiny high-pitched voices. The one time I did it, I melted into the couch I was sitting on, and everything around me turned into paper origami versions of the originals. I thought I was never going to be able to stand up because I was so heavy. Here's a good one. I felt like I had died and melded with the fabric of time. I could see everything going around where I was 360 degrees through walls too, and it was my job to move time along. I could move it forward and backward, and without my conscious thought moving time, everything just froze. I took a really good hit of that once because my friend had some, and the legislature was about to outlaw it. I went completely dissociative in the realm of geometric chaos, as you call it. I was convinced I was dead, but since I was obviously conscious and couldn't remember who or what I had been, I figured I was awaiting reincarnation. It wasn't really scary at all. My now wife thought the couch was eating her and got pretty wound up about it. I did it once about 15 years ago, saw time unfolding non-linearly across infinite parallel universes for about two minutes. And I've thought about that experience every day of my life since then. Might have been the best two minutes of my life now that I think about it. Guy replies to him. I always struggled with how to put this in words that make sense. And you nailed it, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> that was nailing it. I was lying face down to isolate when I tried it. And when I tried to push myself off the surface, I was sound and feel of Velcro being pulled apart was happening while all these little people behind the curtain scream, no. And it's like I had to rip apart their world. It was legal when I tried it. And I thought I was on a raft going down a river and Mickey Mouse was going to appear. He didn't appear. But like I knew he was going to, and it was a big, ominous deal. I was on my friend's bed the entire time. Anyway, there's like a million of these, and they're really good. And I probably missed some of the better ones. I just kind of went in order. But I love this kind of shit. I love it. A friend of mine that I was driving up to college with once took way too much acid, and he was in the car, and we were driving extremely fast. And I was joking with him. I said, look, we're going to take off. We're going to fly over that overpass. And I hit the accelerator, and he told me later, in his mind, we just absolutely caught air and just elevated and sailed right over the overpass. We got to stop at a gas station at one point and I had to use the bathroom. So I handed him 20 bucks and I said, Hey man, just uh, all you got to do is hand this to the attendant. It's back in the day when there were gas station attendants, fill it up for you. And he looked at me in terror, like, please, please don't let me, please don't uh, make me do this. <laughs> and I, I should have probably been more sympathetic, but I just handed him the money and took off. And later on, I asked him why it was a problem. And he said, cause he was, le he felt he was levitating. And it, and it was awkward that the gas station attendant would see him levitating. That would be strange. And we also had all the, the sunroof and all the windows open. And we went through a tunnel that was about, I don't know, quarter mile long. And it was really loud inside the tunnel with all the windows open. And uh, he told me later that that tunnel was a bunch of souls screaming in purgatory. And when we emerged from the tunnel, he, he personally had released them. So uh, I love this kind of shit. And it gives me happiness, not only because I've had some experiences and done some crazy things like that, but 
it is also sort of a window into the contingent nature of your experience, contingent on your senses and your thoughts and your ideas. I just think it's just, it's cool. I, I love this stuff. I mean, it's very taxing on you physically and emotionally sometimes to have one of these trips and I'm probably too old to do it now. But I just think that the possibility that this exists, that your mind can go to these absolutely insane places is, is cool. And it's a quote that I think about sometimes, which is that the mystic swims or maybe the, uh, the psychedelic drug user drowns in the same waters the mystic swims in. So it's kind of like you're, you're being opened up to a realm that's there's something deep there, but because you haven't gotten there through you know, your own letting go of your very rigid sense of reality. You haven't been able to let go of your beliefs and connect more. When the drug takes you there, you're not really, you're still holding on. So it's, it's uncomfortable. It's difficult. A lot of these trips are very, you know, insane. Whereas if you were letting go into that realm without the use of drugs, because you were ready, uh, you would probably have a different experience and navigate it better. And I actually had one, I'll talk about one experience I had, which stayed with me. When I was about 25, I was studying for the bar over the summer uh, in the Hamptons. And we rented this house. It wasn't like that. The nice Hamptons at the time was the other side of the, the road, but it was still pretty nice. And there were four of us and we split a house, two girls and me and a friend. And we we're studying for the bar. And somebody came out with some really, supposedly the best ecstasy, his guy, I think he worked at like NBC or something and he had a guy and came out with, with the good stuff and I'd never taken it before and I took it and my friend was, was supposed to take it with me. Then he said he didn't want it. And I was like, oh, screw it. I'll do it anyway. So we're at this little house in the woods with the little pool and kind of hanging out. And um, I start tripping, rolling, I guess is the proper word. And it was crazy. Like the, this, this one girl who, who we shared the house with, like she was always like, complaining that I wasn't doing my share of the dishes or whatever. She was like on my case for stuff. And I had, you know, we had this like, not a, we didn't like really dislike each other, but there's like this bit of a beef in sharing the house. And I remember seeing her and just giving her a big hug and being like, oh, I'm so lucky to live with these people. And I understand like why, what it is, why it is that she's, you know, disappointed that I'm not doing this right away after dinner. Her family does it that way or whatever. I just was extremely, extremely, understanding. I could completely understand what a good person she was and how fortunate I was to have her as a roommate. And my friend, same thing. I was like, what a, what a good guy. I'm so lucky. And the other girl, she had uh, lent me her parents like minivan and I scratched it on uh, these tree branches. I'd scratched the paint and I told her I was going to fix it. And I was, but I think I was a bit flippant about it. And I could tell like she was nervous that I wasn't going to do it. So I like reassured her. I was like, I'm absolutely going to do this tomorrow. I hope you know that I take it seriously. You know, the whole thing, I was just completely uh, attuned to everybody it felt like and i truly felt like i was enlightened and i could just see how simple it was just to be kind to these people and 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 really that they were good people and i was just incredibly incredibly fortunate and i just felt great and that lasted maybe 10 minutes 15 minutes i don't know it's hard to tell and then about 15 minutes after that i was pretty high but i come down just a little bit and i understood everybody and that they were good and that they meant well but I wasn't quite as in touch with it. And I also could see myself the way I was angry with them or petty or distrusting about their motives or annoyed. 
and I could just see like the gap between what it was like to be enlightened and what my actual day-to-day experience was my closed off distrustful day-to-day experience. And I, this gap was like apparent when I came down just a little bit, I could, I could see, still see the enlightened, the mountaintop, but I was a little bit below the peak. It was uncomfortable. It was painful to, to see the, the disparity uh, between enlightenment and, and my reality. And then the rest of it was just every 10, 15 minutes, I was a little bit lower, a little bit farther from that one moment and a little bit more aware and more back into the distrustful, non-harmonious feelings about these people, even though I knew, and I'm saying it now, so I obviously still remember it. So I remembered it then, that feeling of just total trust and, and understanding of them. Anyway, you know, eventually I came down all the way and I, you know, had to just kind of, it takes like a day to get, you know, your endorphins or whatever, serotonin back to baseline. But I realized at that time, like there was only one way to get to do it, which was to get to the mountaintop for real through your own letting go and not through chemicals because the chemicals wear off and all you're left with is the truth of, you know, what you really are rather than that small glimpse of what, well, that's what you really are was that glimpse. That's what, that's the truth about you is, is the enlightened version, but not so much what you really are, but what your day-to-day habits really are. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty powerful. I've had a lot of other things with, you know, other drugs and stuff, but that was the one that stuck with me the most. And that's very different than salvia. Salvia seems like it, it takes you to some bizarre other parallel, you know, you know, you're, you're messing with the mechanics of, of consciousness in the, this other one was just very much like opening. Anyway, I love seeing this thread. It cracks me up. I, I think it's really funny because I think like the things that we all sort of agree on as solid and, and normal, the fact that they're this provisional. And when you take this chemical, it just completely, you know, one guy lived as a garden hose for a hundred years and watched a garden hose at a family home, watching a, a, a guy have a family and then have another family and then them, and then the next generation of his family, and he and he cried afterward. Or, you know, the guy who was a bucket stuck, you know, bucket of water stuck on the Great Wall of China and dr- dried for a thousand years. It's also kind of scary because you think, well, it's only five minutes. Like, you know, none of these people died or got sick. It's not like toxic in that way. But you know, the movie Inception, where like inside each sub layer, time goes much much slower. So imagine if the thing that helps you keep time or keeps you on time at one second per second. You're you're traveling through time all the time. You're time traveling right now as you listen to this and you're traveling through time right now at the speed of one second per second, right? We're all traveling through time at the speed of one second per second. But whatever it is that lets you perceive that one second per second speed in your brain and your consciousness, perhaps there is a part of your brain that regulates that and there's certain, you know, electrochemical reactions in your brain that determine the speed at which you experience time and imagine if this thing even though it lasts five minutes slowed that the travel of that perception down that may not be just one maybe a lot that goes into the rate at which you experience time but imagine if it were one region of the brain and this slowed it down a hundredfold a thousandfold a millionfold so that five minutes was five million minutes now it's five minutes in real life and everybody else will just see you go into a weird state for five minutes, but in your experience, it really could be a hundred years. 
And that's crazy. Imagine taking something for five minutes and spending a hundred years. And I told my friend this theory and he said, well, it couldn't really be a hundred years because their brains would be mush. Like that'd be a long time to come back. So maybe it was, you know, a month of experience or whatever it was that felt like a hundred years, but whatever it is, it's kind of insane to think that it could be like an inception situation where you go down a couple layers and the time is completely different and takes that long. The other, the other one that was really messed up was, uh, there was a black mirror and I should have got white Christmas is the name of it. I'm glad I thought of that. I was going to have to look it up, but there's a black mirror called white Christmas with John Hamm. And I'm not going to give it away because I highly recommend you watching it though. It's extremely dark. If you're in a fragile state, uh, it's that's uh, it's, 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 it's one of the darkest things I've ever seen white Christmas, but basically there's a device by which they can set the timer on your perception and it's fucked up what happens. I would just say, I'll just say that. I'm not going to give it away, but um, being able to set the timer so that, you know, I could increase your amount of time to a million years or whatever um, is uh, kind of scary, you know, in a certain state. Anyway, I recommend that. So I don't know. I want to just talk about that. Uh, I, I've sent it some people. Heather didn't care. Heather's never, she doesn't really appreciate drug humor. The other thing that I like about it is these people who are, who are saying this stuff on Twitter, I feel like, they're basically acknowledging like they had an experience that was so outside of the, the normal five senses and mind experience that we have on a normal basis. And for some reason that makes me feel good about humanity that, that there's people that acknowledge the thin veneer of reality without cracking up. Right. I mean, you don't want to go there and then jump out a window or something like that, or become, you know, schizophrenic or have to be uh, hospitalized. But the idea that the provisional reality in which we interact with each other that works to an extent, not a lot of people are not happy with the situation, isn't the ultimate reality. And that a lot of the ultimate reality answers like enlightenment or God or whatever, they're just like concepts. And so like, it just becomes dreary, like, oh, the go to church every day or whatever it is someone tells you to do. There's just a dreariness to those sort of ultimate reality descriptions that you grow up with with organized religion or at least for me it was and when you hear these crazy crazy experiences it's just so much more interesting i mean imagine if enlightenment were, were understood to be just a hundred thousand times more fascinating than the dreary dull life of chasing dopamine pleasure clout status that the dreariness of that just paled in comparison to experiencing the true nature of reality. I think I understand why, you know, people who are, I don't know how many are fraudulent or, or how many are real. I've met a real one, at least one. And I, I get into that story at some point. I think I've mentioned it before, but a lot of them are frauds and they sell something. I can understand why even a real teacher would not want to sell an insane experience, sort of the true nature of reality being not just insane, but like incredibly fascinating, like beyond the most interesting possible thing that you could experience the most, the most enriching, deepest, most interesting thing you could experience. They don't really talk about it like that. Cause maybe the way to, the way is, is to not be chasing. So if you're trying to chase an experience, you're probably not going to be able to let go enough to, to, to actually have to actually experience the true nature of things. But at the same time, my sort of default image for enlightenment is dull. You know, people, someone's meditating on a, on a mat in an empty room or 
you know, the idea of people going to a church service or a temple or, or some sort of religious chanting or something. It just seems so dull. It seems so dreary, so depressing. Like somehow getting out of the fight, getting out of the game, not dealing. And I do think that should one ever come upon it, it would probably, you know, would probably be worth 10,000 times the feeling that you you have when you have some sort of worldly success or achieve something. So anyway, I don't know because it's not my, I've only done it for 10 minutes and it was, it was pretty good. It was chemically aided, but that's, you know, I've had other strange experiences. I, one time I was a good friend of mine. We were walking through Boston and we we're just walking having conversation and just talking about life. We we're in our twenties, I think. And we walked past the cemetery and, you know, we we're talking about like deep philosophical shit. And then we walked past the cemetery and we both kind of looked, looked at the cemetery and looked at each other and went, started laughing. I said, that shit's for real. That's for real in there. And there was like a moment where everything got very light and I just felt that same thing just for a, a few moments. Another time when I was in college, we used to sprint up this hill. I went to Amherst college and there's a hill called Memorial Hill. And it's just a very steep, big hill that you'd uh, sled down. You'd get some, trays from the cafeteria when it snows out you i don't know if they still do it but sled. now they probably have to wear a helmet you know now you have to probably sign a, a liability waiver but back then we do that and we sled down and we would run up and i don't know if it was the snow or we we're just doing it sprinting up there just to like run but i remember one time i was with a couple friends and we were like halfway up the hill and it was hard and all of a sudden i felt like just being lifted up the hill like something happened it was very weird and again, it was this feeling of lightness also. Not drug-induced that time. And same thing with the cemetery when not drug-induced. Anyway, I just felt like talking about it. That, uh, that crazy tweet thread just sort of piqued my interest and been trying to send it to people. And again, I, I love drug humor because I think there's something like the funniest joke is the whole thing is a joke. That's the funniest joke. I mean, I, and again, I'm not trying to say not to attend to your life in a serious way insofar as serious means attentive but the, the, yeah the, there's nothing funnier than like the being a, a supposed serious person and then ingesting some sort of hallucinogen and then seeing what happens another good one was uh was it flirting with disaster i think that the police officer who's super authoritarian they put acid in his food or he accidentally takes some acid and then he just goes the other direction completely. I don't remember it that well, but it was funny. All right, that's really it. Nothing really to say about baseball, whatever. I finished up all the baseball stuff last week and um, we'll see if I even release this one, but it just blew my mind. All right, I'm on vacation, as I said. I'll be back at some point, another week week from now or something. Unless there's another emergency podcast in the next couple of days, there, there might be. Stay tuned, you never know, or uh, might be a while. All right, uh, that's it. That's all I got to say. Till next time. Oh, a little postscript because I stopped recording and I forgot to say this. The podcast from last week when it went over the entire COVID fraud and I tried to go into some detail. Uh, I know a lot of you guys listen to these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. And Soslowski just told me how to get some of the notes in Spotify also. And I'll probably do that too. But on the site, on the realmanwood.com site, if you click on the actual podcast, there are extensive notes for pretty much. I'm doing it for all the podcasts for the health podcast. There's great notes. The one I did with Dalton, the last one I did with Dalton and for this COVID fraud 
comprehensive podcast from last week, the one that's uh, ride your bike when you get there. I don't know if there's a hundred links, maybe more plus quote tweets and documents and links to source material. I even got Ted Bell to send me a couple of links and I, I put one of those in there and I'll probably add a few more, but it is the most comprehensive. If, if somebody's like, well, what, you know, what do you mean there's COVID fraud? What are you, what are you talking about? It is hopefully going to be something that people can send that link. So I'm, I'm trying to, cause I've always felt like somebody should just document all of the fraud because it's so crazy one thing after another. And I'm sure there's more, there's probably more. One of the things I was in a cab last night and the cab driver told us that he wasn't vaccinated and neither was his family. And he knew people who were not vaccinated. And he seriously doubted that Portugal was 90 plus percent, whatever it is, 97%, whatever they say, whatever the official number is for Portugal uh, percentage vaccinated. And I started thinking about it and they've lied about everything else. Of course they would lie and say a higher percentage were vaccinated than were because it would make anyone unvaccinated feel like more of a, a you know, an outcast. Like, oh, you're the only holdout. Come on, dude, you're, you're the only one. Everybody else has done it. It could be 70 and they say 90. If it's 70, you're like, oh, well, there's 30% of the people. Like that's, that's a lot of people. But if it's 96 or something, well, then now you're, you know, you're a real freak. You're the only one. Anyway, I just thought I'd add that in. But, but the bottom line is, you know, if you're interested in this stuff, check out the notes because they're really, really in depth. And even for the math stuff, I put that in too. So if you listen to the math part and you're like, I sort of didn't get this. Well, the math thing is linked there. All the stuff is linked there. So I'm trying to do a good job backing up the podcasts in the notes because I want to be accountable for what I'm saying. I want to, I want to at least back it up. And actually, I, I, one correction from the last podcast also, I said, I think baseline ICU beds were 95%. And so the fact that like, oh, the ICU beds are overrun was they're not telling you the baseline. Yeah, the baseline's high, but I think it's like 75, 80% in England or in Canada or wherever that data is that I got. Um, so I think I overstated the baseline level. Maybe in some places it's 95, but I want to issue a correction because everything I say, I, I want it to be, to be substantiated and, and, and trustworthy. And if I've made an error like that, just come out and say it. I made an error. All right. That's it. I'll be on vacation and yeah, that's it for now.